Do you ever get the feeling that the world has become just a little too crazy to navigate? And then maybe your personal life is a little too laborious, a little too complicated for you to really make any difference? You know, that feeling? Yeah. What do you do about it?
Welcome and please join me in prayer. I wanted to share just a few things about um, something that happens in Blue Water community. Uh, once a month on the third Saturday, we pray for almost 24 hours. And we've been doing that for quite a while. And in the last year or so, there's been this thread and there's just something about spending all those hours um, pressing in where God like gives us these beautiful pictures and gives us this sense of uh, some things that are happening from God's perspective. So some of what we've seen uh, is a moving of stones so that the river can flow more freely and God's river of love and presence among us. Uh, and, and there's this deep personal work that God's doing right now in many of us that then impacts the community so that when we do our internal work, then we can be in community more fully, more lovingly, more patiently, more kindly. So um, yeah, just sensing the season that there's, there's a deep work personally, there's a deep work communally that God's doing as there's so many unknowns right now. So I just would like to pray into that this morning and if you would join me. God, we, uh, we come before you this morning and thank you that you are among us and that you are doing so many things seen and unseen and that you long to um, transform us and move us and enable us to be more like you Jesus we thank you for the opportunities where we are kind of closed in at home and unable to join um, in community in this time and we we pray for openness to just receive what you have for us that you would you would bring in and show us the things that we need to know for this time so that we can walk through it with you and as your hands and your feet and your voice. We thank you for the Blue Water community and we thank you that you have plans for us and that you're dropping them in and you're preparing us and we just bless that Lord. We, we say yes and amen to what you want to do among us. We love you God. In Jesus name. Amen. Good morning, Blue Water. Uh, we've got a special guest with us this morning, Evan. Uh, and Evan is going to be sharing about a ministry that has been active throughout this quarantine called Salty Crew. And before he shares about Salty Crew, uh, I want to give a big mahalo and thank you to the individuals who have gone above and beyond the call of duty and who have helped us with worship through this time of quarantine. So uh, thank you, Eunice, Taylor, and Ben, who's in the room. Um, now that the quarantine restrictions are slightly eased, uh, we get to include more and more people into our worship sessions. Uh, so you will be seeing more faces during our worship sessions. All right, Evan. I've heard and read about Salty Crew. Can you tell us about it? How did it start? Yeah, uh, so Salty Crew actually started before COVID, um, actually like early, early March, kind of before things picked up at least. And I was reading through the chapter two of Acts, which is a big part of it is about the early church. And um, I read in there uh, the verse about how nobody really had any material um, needs, like the church was taking care of uh, each other's needs. And I think the Holy Spirit just spoke to me in that moment and said, are there people at our church who have needs that we're not taking care of? 
um, and how can we make, make sure that those needs are met? And so I started thinking and kind of talking to the Lord about what that might look like, how we could help to meet those needs. And um, I think the Lord kind of spoke to me and, and gave me the, the idea for the Salty Crew thing, which is uh, a ministry that's kind of designed to help meet material needs for people within our church and also in our community. Um, so we'll do things like um, painting, um, helping people move, getting rid of rubbish, um, landscaping. We've even uh, can do like some car repairs and things. We, so it's, there's a lot of different projects we do. Um, but yeah, the idea is to kind of follow uh, the example of the early church and help meet the practical needs of people in our church and community. Very cool that it started right before COVID. It seems like a prophetic act of um, providing for those uh, in the community uh, when uh, a lot is in question. Uh, well, can you share a one story yeah, absolutely. Uh, with us about it? Totally. So uh, one of my uh, favorite stories is actually from really early on. Uh, we were helping uh, a woman who just moved back into a house and moved back to Hawaii um, get rid of a bunch of rubbish around her yard. So uh, her son was physically disabled and wasn't able to really help with the yard projects because it was kind of on a hill, a lot of, a lot of movement. And then her husband is kind of elderly and, and, and a little sickly and wasn't able to help either. And so she was kind of in a, in a place where it was like, how am I going to get this done? Um, and so she heard about Salty Crew um, through a member of our church. And uh, we came over there and we helped her out. And so we spent a number of hours just clearing a bunch of rubbish from the yard, getting rid of a ton of stuff, and then came back later and picked up um, all that rubbish with trucks. Um, but as we were finishing up the project and kind of cleaning up, she comes up to us and asks, hey, how can I, um, how can I, how much do I owe you guys? How much can I pay you guys? And we're like, we're a ministry. Like, we don't want any of your money. Um, and so she just kind of started wondering, like, why we're doing this, like, questioning that. And I explained to her that we just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and make sure we're meeting material needs for people. Um, she just broke down crying in gratitude and was so grateful and blessed. And um, we keep cleaning up. And then a little bit later, she brings her son over and she says, hey, Evan, can you tell, um, tell my son what you just told me about why you guys are doing this? And so I was able to share the gospel again about like our heart for ministry and why we want to, uh, why we want to help serve. And um, how, it was just an awesome experience to be able to do that and a really organic way to share the gospel with people. And so it really kind of, I think, fired, up, uh, fired us up in the ministry to just go out and be servants and tithe our time on Saturdays. So, yeah. Cool. So um, who is it uh, designed for and how could people get involved? Yeah. So uh, the ministry is designed for anybody who has a project they need help with. Um, if you know of people that need help, um, neighbors, um, family members that that could be blessed by this ministry, um, please reach out and uh, you can contact me through my email. Um, and we're really wanting to serve anybody. Um, we always do it on Saturdays at noon and that's kind of our time that we tithe. And then for people who want to get involved in the ministry, it actually is specifically designed for, for, uh, for guys in the church. We wanted to kind of build up a brotherhood where we're taking, um, not just hanging out together, surfing and doing whatever, but we're actually hanging out together and doing ministry together. And so that's a big part of it, is getting men in our church to get together and go and do, uh, you know, just be the church and go serve. So um, yeah, my encouragement to the men of the church, if you'd like to join, contact me by email and think about maybe prayerfully tithing either one Saturday a month or multiple Saturdays, and then just kind of commit to that time and uh, we'll find projects uh, for, for you to help out with. Thank you, Evan. Yeah, of course. Um, well, uh, during the time of this filming, we've got a hurricane approaching. Uh, so blessings, peace, and strength to you and your household. Uh, it's a good time to check in with your neighbors and your small group, especially if you are in need 
or can give assistance. Uh, in the midst of uncertain times and a storm, let's express our gratitude and trust in the Lord through our giving. If you're new or um, please feel no obligation to give this morning, uh, but if you'd like to give, you can give in two ways, uh, via post and online. If you'd like to send in a check, send it to our office. Evan, what's your preferred method of giving? Right now, I prefer to do online. Online. Save on stamps. Mm, good call. Uh, so, um, we're about to get into the sermon, uh, but before that, we have a warm-up, and we want to pray for the kids. Would you be willing to pray for the kids? Absolutely. Lord, uh, we're so thankful uh, for the children of our church and the way that they just bless the body with um, who they are and who you created in them to be, Lord. I th pray that you just continue to form them and reveal to them your love and that they would just come to know your love for them so intimately and just have such a trust and faith in the goodness of your love and uh, that it would just change them and transform them into whoever um, you've created them to be. So bless them this morning, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being a part of the Blue Water journey with us as we travel through this difficult season. And we're always learning as we go. Uh, here's a warm-up question for our sermon this week. What's something you've learned recently about God or your spiritual journey that you didn't know a year ago? Uh, you can pause to think about it or discuss it with others around you if you want to. And here's a few responses from our Ohana Group community. Something new that I've been thinking about is uh, how the enemy uses distraction to take us away from God. And I feel like there's so much distraction right now and um, so much chaos. And it's really a fight that we have to do every day and every moment uh, to stay clear on what we're supposed to be about and, and um, in our relationship with God and what he has us to do and be every day. So I've been learning that community is super, super important because before this whole COVID thing, I took it for granted that we would go to church and we would have a small group and I could meet face to face with friends at the park. It's been a blessing that God's just been teaching me to just focus on that, focus on trying to um, see people through his eyes, through his perspective. And just trust him more, even though during this uh, COVID um, time, a lot of crazy things. Um, I don't know why God let this happen, but, and I know there, um, God has his plan, and there's a purpose. God always has a way of providing, and I think he's being kind to me and gentle in, uh, in changing my mind and kind of giving me like a small peek uh, window as to what it could be like, you know, just relax, trust in me, it's gonna be all right. Enjoy your life, you know, enjoy your kids while they're young. You know, even if, if it's a crappy day, enjoy that situation, learn from it. Uh, currently, we are in a global pandemic. Uh, we have a painful race relations crisis. We have an economic shutdown with historically massive unemployment. At the moment of this filming in Hawaii, we have a hurricane bearing down on us. Uh, we can't gather physically as a church. Our kids face an uncertain school year. And who knows what's going on in your personal life and what frictions you are facing there. So obviously, 
God's doing great things, right? Right? Because that's kind of how uh, we've learned to understand it. When it seems as if nothing good is happening, we eventually find out that God has been achieving some great things. Right? Right. Right? Give me an amen. Amen. And the trick then for us is to not quit, to keep steady at the wheel. Uh, So when the storm blows itself out, and the storm will blow itself out, uh, we're still on course, having done our work, having harvested where we should. Steady on, there is a way. True? True. Uh, God plays a mean game of chess. That's something I, I know about God. Just when you think he's been outmaneuvered in the world, he kind of moves a pawn, and then the whole game changes. I've been thinking about that analogy recently. I read an article on this guy, Magnus Carlsen, who's this Norwegian grandmaster chess champion. He's like seven-time world chess champion or, or something like that. Fascinating guy, and I was reading his profile, and that led to watching some YouTube videos uh, of some of his chess games. I don't really know chess. Uh, I, I know kind of the rules you think that I could kind of follow a game. But on these videos of grandmasters playing chess, they'll diagram the board and the commentators will draw arrows and show you the position of all the pieces. And then suddenly at some point in the, in the game, they'll say, oh, there it is, checkmate in 12 moves. And I'll be like, what? How, how, do, you, how do you know? How, how do you see that? But you know, grandmasters, they just see the board way differently They see the game way differently than mere mortals do. And Satan by now has learned that God is a grandmaster chess player, right? I mean, Satan knows that he cannot win in chess. So so this is what he does. Uh, When a situation comes up that kind of makes it look like Satan is dominating the game or dominating the situation, at that point, Satan begins, begins to overplay He begins to overhype. He does everything that he can to make you feel like the game is over, to get you to withdraw before God makes the next move. Because he knows when God makes the next move, the whole game's going to change. So do you believe the hype? Do you cave in to the intimidation? Uh, Have you ever had one of those, I didn't see that coming, Moments in life? Let's say it together. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. Heartfelt. I like it. Uh, The truth is, we never quite see the whole situation, do we? We never quite see the whole game, the whole chessboard, as God is playing it. Um, Some of you uh, have heard this story before about how I ended up coming to Hawaii, uh, coming back to Hawaii. Sonia, of course, was born and raised here. Uh, my mom was from here, so I, I spent some portions of my childhood here. But we were living on the East Coast near Boston at the time in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, and I had had to walk away from my academic career uh, for various painful reasons. And I had a job as a software executive. And then I had kind of gotten unjustly fired uh, in what was sort of a, a, a cover-up of some bad things that my boss had done. Uh, So I was unemployed. I had a mortgage on this house 
that Sony and I were rehabbing. I would need to get it rehabbed before I could sell it. Sony was pregnant. So it was just like a, a crazy time in our life. And it was winter in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And I just felt really tangled up. I really felt like there was no move for me to make. One of the things I did during that season is I went on a long fast. Um, and in the afternoons, I would go walk on the beach with my dog, uh, Rocky. But the beach, Wingershik Beach in Gloucester, Massachusetts, is nothing like the beaches are in Hawaii. It was rocky. Uh, it was freezing. Uh, the surf would freeze as it would come up onto the beach. And I would stare out into the bleak grayness of the Atlantic and just search for something from God. Have you ever had one of those moments where you needed him to change the world? I was trying to change something within myself so maybe I could get some perspective on things. You ever been there? Yeah. Um, and then what happened one day is that the phone rang. I had been, uh, even during my uh, dismal time, I'd been doing some ministry trips, uh, doing some supernatural ministry conferences and stuff like that, just volunteering and ministering where I could. And the phone rang. And as it was ringing, um, the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, well, that's, that's Dan, my pastor friend from Hawaii, and he's going to offer you a job in Hawaii. You should take it. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. And I picked up the phone, and sure enough, uh, that was the call. And that's how we ended up coming to Hawaii, and eventually uh, how this church ended up being planted. It came out of nothing, and it came out of nowhere. Uh, I was a uh, political scientist uh, for a while, a professional policy analyst, studied a lot of history, a lot of political and military history. Arguably, the greatest historical event of my lifetime was the collapse of the Soviet Union happened in 1990 or so, depending on who you date it. Uh, you guys remember the Soviet Union? You remember the great socialist empire of the North, the evil empire, as Reagan called it? Uh, it really was an empire. It wasn't just the Soviet Union. They had satellite states. They kept a huge chunk of the world under tyranny. And for all of my life, it was us versus them, right? It was... America, the U.S. versus the Soviet Union, and everything. Every Olympics, right? That was the opposition. Every geopolitical situation. And it was getting worse, and the arms race was getting bigger, and the Soviet empire was expanding, and then it collapsed pretty much overnight. The wall came down. And as a political scientist, the thing I understand about that is that nobody saw it coming. No expert predicted that that was going to happen. The experts totally missed it. The greatest geopolitical shift in the modern age, without a shot being fired, the empire collapsed and the experts missed it. And evidently, the world has forgotten the significance of it, the collapse of the socialist empire, but that's another topic. Right now, we're in a crazy political season in America. Anybody? Amen? Amen. And uh, we're now entering the American presidential election season, which is going to make things even crazier. And the candidates we have running, let's just say they both have some interesting issues. It's just a really unprecedented time. And uh, the presidential polls have been a little bit crazy. First, Trump is way ahead. 
And then, you know, we get race relation crisis and now Biden is way ahead. It's crazy, right? It's crazy until you remember last presidential election season, uh, which was just fascinating. Uh, nobody thought that Trump would win. Even the Republican Party was fighting to keep him from winning, if you will recall. And then as the election approached, every single poll done showed him losing by a significant margin. Because everybody hated Trump. And then somehow it turned out that everybody just hated Hillary Clinton a little bit more. And he won the election. Crazy unprecedented. Nobody saw that coming. And I look at this presidential election, I think nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows how this is going to turn out. Nobody knows how these situations are going to turn out. Life can turn on a dime for us individually, for us collectively. Life is a wild ride and the world is a constantly shifting stage. And I just have a feeling that in the world right now, the experts are missing it again. I think nobody sees what's coming. I don't think anybody really understands what's happening on the great chessboard. I think God is about to make some moves that nobody saw coming. And I think we're about to get some really fascinating outcomes. And that brings us to our scripture story on the day. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series on Acts. We are in Acts chapter 18 right now. Uh, and this is a story about Paul and his ministry team arriving in a place called Corinth, uh, which is uh, in Greece, basically, on the Greece peninsula. Corinth um, was a, a wealthy town. Um, a wild town. Um, it was economically prosperous. Uh, it was morally and culturally mixed. Um, when I think of Corinth, I often think of, of San Francisco, a place known for its wealth as well as its um, uh, alternate lifestyles of various sorts. I mean, anything, anything would go in Corinth and it was kind of famous for its wide open culture. Um, Paul has been traveling through the Greek Peninsula. He has had to flee from about half the cities he's visited. He's been driven out. Uh, he's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. And he arrives in Corinth. And when he shows up there, he's at first kind of by himself. He's waiting for his team to arrive behind him. So this is the story. We're going to read Acts 18, uh, 1 through um, 17 or so. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So it's a, a time of new religious persecution in the Roman Empire. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, which often happened, 
He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you this time, because I have many people in this city. You have a lot of work to do still. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, Achaia just means Greece, uh, so a new governor of Greece, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. So get kind of a surprise ending there. At the end of the story, instead of Paul getting beaten and imprisoned, the situation flips, and it is his persecutors that get beaten and shamed. I want you to note the political context of the story when it starts. Um, Claudius, uh, the Roman ruler in Rome, has kicked Jews out of Italy. So it's a signal of uh, a season of religious persecution in the Roman Empire, which if you know anything about the history of the Roman Empire, you get this from time to time. Uh, usually, in the Roman Empire, from the time of Jesus till its collapse, Christians were persecuted relentlessly, often murdered systematically, executed and stuff like that. Um, the, uh, the Romans would do that uh, to other religious groups as well. Uh, they're picking on the Jews at this time. So suddenly, to be a Jew uh, was to be politically vulnerable, uh, open to persecution. Paul was uh, a Jew. Incidentally, you might recall he had some Roman citizenship as well. He occupied sort of an interesting place. Um, note also, uh, as the story progresses, that Paul is ministering in Corinth, but he's doing it on his own dime. He's working as a, as a tent maker. He's sewing together what would be leather travel tents or something like that. Corinth was a, a commercial hub. It was a travel hub. Had a big airport there, so to speak. And so Paul was outfitting uh, travelers, probably is what it was, by making tents in the marketplace. And he's partnered up uh, with these guys, uh, Achilla and his wife Priscilla. Uh, later on in the story, it gets flipped. Priscilla's name is always given first because she becomes the more prominent leader in the early church, uh, incidentally. Uh, but he's just getting by, right? He's, he doesn't have like a big ministry budget or something like that. The dude is making tents part-time to support his ministry habit. It's not a very romantic life at all. 
Later on in the story, when Silas and Timothy show up finally, he evidently stops making tents and just devotes himself full-time to preaching, either because Silas and Timothy take over the tent-making business, or maybe they brought some gifts from other churches or something. But these guys are just getting by. It's a very grassroots operation, which is kind of stunning, given that they were literally changing the world at the moment of, uh, of this story. Uh, again, uh, in the story, it turns out that um, he's preaching in the synagogues, as was, was his custom, but uh, some religious Jews rise up in the synagogues and basically accuse him of being a cultural traitor. They oppose him, as is often the case uh, throughout the accounts of Acts, and this time Paul has had it. He said, that's it. Your blood be on your own heads. He shakes out his clothes to symbolize that he's through with them. And he says, from now on, I only go to the Gentiles. And he moves next door to the house of this guy, Titius Justus, which is a Roman name. He may have actually been a Roman or a Greek that had taken a Roman name, but not a Jew is what we're learning, uh, given to understand. And it's a house church. And it's a house church directed entirely at, at Gentiles, or primarily at Gentiles, which is a shift in history. You know, it's like we're now a, a strict house church sort of movement at this point. Um, and from there, Paul continues to preach and has some success. Some Jews uh, come to the Lord, but a lot of Greeks come to the Lord, we are told. So some success, um, but uh, what's going on for Paul personally? And we don't really know, uh, but evidently God feels like he ne needs to give Paul a little pep talk. Uh, and we, we pick up in uh, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Because i got many people in this city. The implication being that many people are going to come to faith still. Paul, don't freak out. Don't run away this time. It's going to be okay. Keep going. There's a big harvest here. Uh, which is a good coaching moment. God needed to show up for Paul evidently. Paul had a tough go, you know. It takes a toll to be beaten and imprisoned and kicked out of city after city. It takes a toll to be accused of being a traitor and an oppressor by your own people. You know, that takes a toll. It takes a toll to know that uh, the political situation generally is opposed to you, that people like you are being persecuted by by the system, right? The Roman system. That takes a toll. Um, takes a toll to get kicked out of the synagogue where you grew up, where you used to be a big deal, where you used to be a super important scholar, you know? And uh, it's tough. So God shows up for him and says, keep it up. Don't give up. You know, don't freak out. The most often repeated command in all of Scripture is what? Fear not. Do not be afraid. And this is a version of that. God just shows up personally and says what he always says. Don't be afraid. Fearlessness. Faith is the opposite of fear. Uh, pop quiz. Fill in the blank. Whatever you do, do it. How? Whatever you do, do it. Well. Well, whatever you do, do it well. How many of you were thinking that? Well, whatever you do, do it well. 
I was reading Abraham Lincoln quotes this week because he's a personal hero of mine. Uh, he said, uh, whatever you are in life, be a good one. Uh, very similar, one of my favorite Lincoln quotes. Uh, but I would say this, uh, whatever you are in life, be a brave one. Whatever you do, do it bravely. You know, wherever you are for your work, be a brave worker. If you're a student, be a brave student. If you're an athlete, be a brave athlete. If you're a minister, be a brave minister. Um, if uh, you're a job hunter, be a brave job hunter. You need to be brave there. One of life's big lessons. And Paul gets his pep talk and he ends up sticking it out. He, he stays for at least another year and a half, continuing to preach. And things uh, tend to go well. And then uh, it says, while Gallio uh, was proconsul of, of Greece, I guess he gets shifted into a position. He was kind of like the governor of the region, in other words. Uh, the Jews who were opposing Paul made a united attack on him. They think that this governor of Gallio is going to be uh, sympathetic to their anti-Christian views. Why? Well, because this was a very religiously intolerant season in Rome, right? Religious people were getting persecuted. Jews were getting persecuted. Here's an opportunity uh, for Jews in, Greek, in Greece to go to the governor and say, hey, we're good Jews. Like, we're, we're for stability. You know who's not for stability? This offshoot dude who isn't even a real Jew. He's not a real Jew. He's not a, this is the sort of Jew that you want to you wanna persecute, right? You get it? So they're perceiving that the political climate suddenly suits them. It suits their agenda. So they're trying to make hay with it. This is their opportunity, finally. They're going to get a sympathetic hearing. And so they drag Paul in front of the governor. And then we just get a great story here at the end. Like, here, here we go. Paul has been here before, right? He's been dragged before the authorities. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life, left for dead on one occasion, might actually have been dead and needed to get resurrected by the people who gathered around him. Paul has been down this road, and I'm sure at this point he's thinking, well, all right, this, this, this is it. This is it. It's over now. It's over now. This game is done. Uh, and just as Paul was about to speak, it says in verse 14, the governor says to the Jews, hey, if you were making a complaint about something I cared about, some crime I cared about, I would listen to you. Uh, but this is among yourselves. Get out of here. At which point the crowds who were vehemently anti-Christian, anti-Paul, suddenly became anti-synagogue ruler and beat up this poor guy Sosthenes who is one of the drivers of, of the mob. Didn't see that coming. How did that happen? Life just turned on a dime right there. Everything was going against Paul. Uh, uh, politically and socially, and the mobs were against him. It was like, chicken! Suddenly, the dude is safe. He's not used to that. He's not used to that. So he hangs out in Corinth. The church gets established there. If you know anything about the history of the church, you know that the church of Corinth became the church in Greece. It became the hub of Christianity in that region and the launching point for Christianity in the entire Western world. I mean, we all probably owe a debt 
to the church in Corinth. Man, things turn on a dime. God just moved his pawn. And suddenly the game looked totally different for us Christians. So how do you apply something like this? Well, I don't know. How would you, how would you sum it up? I don't care what the, what the situation looks like. Don't flinch. Don't flinch. Don't freak out. Turn to somebody say, don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't lose your stride. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your self-confidence as if you've somehow screwed up too much and God has had to abandon you or abandon his game plan. That's actually not how things work in the world. When you feel like a pawn in a losing game of chess, hey man, just do your job. And then let God make his moves. And you have to do both, right? You have to do your job. You have to partner with God. And you need him to do his job. You need him to change the world. Do what you can do, and then let God change the world around you. And that might be necessary. He might have to change the world around you. But you know what? He has a long history of changing the world around us. It's a long history of just tweaking something. And empires fall. Crowds turn around. Culture shifts. Avenues open. The message goes forth. Provision floods. Man, life can turn on a dime. But you just got to stay in the game. You can't let Satan hype you into quitting, thinking that the strategy is failing. God is dead. Christianity is dead in the West. Culture has passed you by. Your friends have turned on you. God has forgotten you, whatever the lie is. No, 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 that's just hype. That's just hype. Let God make his move. Watch. Good proverb from chapter 19 of that book. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I have all sorts of feelings, all sorts of thoughts and strategies and plans in our own hearts and somehow God's purpose is what carries the day. Somehow God just takes it all and puts it together in the way that he wanted all along. And he gets you where you need to be and you have one of those, well, I didn't see that coming moments. Overnight, the world just looks like a way different place. And maybe you feel like a way different person. Or maybe you feel like the person who was faithful and believed all along. That would be great. There is a way forward. There is always a way forward. So keep ministering, keep preaching, keep declaring, keep enduring, keep working your job, Keep looking for a job and watch God change the world around you.
Yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are working with you and we are watching for you. And that's what we're going to do. Because if things seem crazy in the world right now, if they seem crazy in our personal life right now, we know that you are uh, the Grand Master. And whatever we do, we're going to do it bravely. Whatever we do, we're, we're going to not be afraid while we do it. Whatever we try, we're going to try courageously. Um, we'll do us, Lord. You do you. Let us marvel at the works of your hands and the strategies of, of your heart, Lord. Uh, we pray uh, for peace in the world, for prosperity for all, and for the light of the gospel to shine forth as it has rarely done on earth. We pray, Lord, that this season of uncertainty and swirling chaos uh, would settle into a season of yearning and hope and fruitfulness and harvest unlike any that we've seen. Uh, we count on you, Lord, and just pray that through your work, we would be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Blue Water Church. Thank you again for joining us for our Sunday service. It's so clear we are living in crazy and turbulent times, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you'd like someone to join with you in prayer, maybe to help you stay the course in this challenging period, or maybe you have another need for physical healing or another situation in your life, you can email julie at bluewatermission.org with your name and your phone number, and let somebody from our prayer team call you back between 10.30 and 11 today and pray with you. Hey, we love you guys, and we are praying for you. Let's fix our eyes this week on those things which are true, praiseworthy, excellent, just as the Apostle Paul recommended. Let's stay the course and let's do what we can do and see God come through in mighty ways. Have an awesome day and we'll see you soon.